This holiday season, please consider supporting the Cato Institute and specifically the Cato Daily Podcast. Visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor to get started. If you support Cato with a donation of $1,000 or more, I'll gladly give you a shout out on the podcast, or you can designate another individual to receive that benefit and all the other benefits of being a Cato sponsor. That website again is cato.org slash podcast sponsor. And thank you for your generosity. This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, December 24th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. Designing a policy for poverty eradication is not the same thing as designing a policy to end or reduce income inequality. Orfi Devungi is chief economist at the Illinois Policy Institute. In Colorado Springs, earlier this year, we spoke about labor markets, income, and poverty. I, I think it's really sad and even a little bit silly that the focus has gone away from eradicating poverty to uh, focusing on income inequality. And and I'll give you a very simple example why. So imagine a society where we cast wide social safety nets and, uh, and so the poor have no incentive or no reason whatsoever to accumulate capital, to accumulate assets, right? So you'll have, you'll end up with a big gap between the poor and the rich uh, in a society like that, for example, right? So there's no uh, reason to focus on income inequality. Instead, I think we should be focusing on lifting people out of poverty and getting them up the economic ladder of success. Uh, and there is a thing that does a really good job of uh, if not eradicating, certainly alleviating the bad parts of poverty, and that is having uh, regular employment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Getting people into jobs. The free market is the largest, the biggest, uh, uh, most uh, effective eradicator of poverty. Uh, and so we have the cure. Uh, what's, what's missing? Why is the, the poverty rate so high still in the U.S., right? It's still about 12%. Uh, you know, why is that? It's, uh, it's because there's no political will, there's a lot of corruption, uh, and that's unfortunate, right? So some of the research that I've done uh, and that others also have put out this year in particular looks at the impact of labor market freedom on employment prospects, right? And so uh, the research shows that a one-point increase in labor market freedom, by labor market freedom, I'm talking about uh, the extent with which government is involved in labor contracts, right? So the economic freedom of North America uh, published by the, uh, the uh, Fraser Institute, uh, does a good job of tracking labor market freedom across all 50 states. So when we look at that measure and we analyze the impact that labor market freedom has, we see that it could drop, it could cause the unemployment rate to fall by 0.6 percentage points. That's huge. So if I, let's say the U.S., for example, 3.7% is the unemployment rate in the U.S. If that number fell to 3.1%, that's uh, one out of five uh, unemployed Americans could be in a job, right? So sweeping labor reforms is what we need to get people back into work. Okay, what, what, what does that look like? Right to work. For example, it, it's uh, not elevating the minimum wage. Unfortunately, uh, across the country, you see states uh, pushing for higher and higher minimum wage uh, laws. Uh, in Illinois, where I'm from, for example, uh, the city of Peoria. So Chicago is a large city, huge wages. Uh, and so a $15 uh, per hour minimum wage in Chicago uh, might not make a huge difference. But in a city like Peoria, Illinois, it's a, it would make a 82% increase in labor costs. Of course, uh, people are not going to, employers are not going to hire anybody if their labor costs go up that much. Right. And, uh, and yeah, as you say, in Chicago, the market wage for 
unskilled labor is probably above $15 That's right. an hour. That's right. That's right. Chicago would absorb the whole thing. Okay. So uh, minimum wages and uh, right to work. What else? Uh, you know, the extent of, you know, hiring and firing restrictions, you know, severance pay, that, you know, those, those types of policies. Union density, for example. Union density, we see that in places where there's less, uh, you know, fewer union strongholds, uh, the labor market thrives better, right? So, you know, you, you have, uh, I'll give you a good example. We have the Chicago Teachers Union right now uh, on strike and asking for more and more money, right? So they're already the highest paid teachers in the country. Well, what does that mean? It means fewer dollars for taxpayers. We see in Chicago, we see 16, up to 16% property tax increases in some areas year over year. That's taking so much out of the value of your home, out of your wealth. And so, of course, that de depresses economic growth. So if, if, if people are not concerned or not uh, convinced that income inequality is not a problem, I've started looking at uh, uh, the white-black, the most obvious case, the white-black employment gap, right? So when you look at uh, the white-black employment gap across the country, what we look, what we see is that states that create jobs at a faster rate, states that have the tightest labor markets, by tight labor markets, we mean uh, more jobs being created relative to the number of people who are actually uh, unemployed looking for work. Those states with really tight labor markets have lower, see lower cases of discrimination, right? But they also see a much smaller white-black employment gap. Uh, so we have the cure. We know that creating jobs at a faster rate uh, can fix the problem, right? Uh, the the uh, intuitive reason for this is that, you know, when you have lots and lots, lots and lots of employers competing with each other for a shallow pool of uh, talent, uh, it becomes very costly for them to discriminate, right? They can't pass an applicant just on the, the basis of their uh, race, uh, because it's going to be very costly to search for that next candidate. And they're willing to invest more in a worker at the at the front end of an employment uh, than later. That's right. That's right. And we see that we see that not just for uh, you know blacks, uh, but we also see it for disabled people, right? So when labor markets get really really tight, uh, you see more employers hiring uh, disabled people. So people who are more likely to be unemployed could find work uh, at a faster rate uh, if, if, of course, we incentivize job creation. What are ways to incentivize job creation? Labor market freedom, lower tax burden. Uh, there's, there's great research out there that shows that uh, when you raise taxes on entrepreneurs, they hire fewer workers and they pay their workers a lot less. Do you see uh, a, a difference between relatively smaller towns and uh, larger cities when it comes to uh, labor market regulation, uh, or is a lot of this being led by the state? It's very much so at the state level. There's also maybe some regional effects, right? So we, we look at, uh, you know, uh, so some of the southern states, we see that uh, they're they're less regulated, right? So, you know, you got Texas, Florida, you got, you know, so you, you see a lot less regulations uh, in the south. Uh, and it's really interesting because you see the great, the reverse migration, great migration of, you know, you see people, the people leaving, black people leaving the Chicago area and going back south. There's a reason for that. They're looking for opportunity, right? Chicago has the most college educated black population and the highest black unemployment rate. That makes no sense. Orfi Devungi is chief economist at the Illinois Policy Institute. We spoke in October in Colorado Springs. You too can support the Cato Institute and this podcast with an end of year gift. Visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor. And thank you. <laughs>